The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Poor Paul Allen. Poor Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) They always find ways, Shereem. New and creative ways to blow it. And yesterday... Paul Allen added to the angst of Vikings fans everywhere, at least those who were listening to the game on radio, because they thought for a nanosecond that the Vikings had somehow pulled off what would have been a stunning upset. No one really expected them to beat the Cardinals, not given the way Arizona looked in Tennessee week one. But ultimately, the Vikings lose. The Cardinals win. They're 2-0. and Welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I'm better than the Vikings are. I'm better than Paul Allen is today, I think, Mike. Poor Vikings. That was a tough one. Yeah. I feel bad for Paul. That's kind of thing's going to torment him. But it is hard yes. from the perspective. Anything other than directly behind the goalpost, it's hard to see. And when it's close, you think it went through. And you're looking for the reactions from people. And he saw something that made him think it went through, and it didn't. And obviously it didn't. And obviously the Vikings are own, too. Your Cowboys, though, are one and one. They, unlike the Vikings, and just about at the same time, converted the field goal to win the game. After some of the worst clock management I think I have ever seen, that clock was running, and they had a timeout, and they lined up, and they were going to call a play, and then they just finally decided, screw it, we got a guy that can make a 56-yarder, we'll see if he can make a 56-yarder to win the game. It was unbelievable. 33 seconds, they snapped the ball. They had a running play, and they don't call timeout. It looked like they were waiting for the Chargers to call timeout. And initially, I'm like yelling at the Chargers, what are you doing? Call timeout. And then I'm like, well, this is brilliant because the Cowboys aren't getting another playoff, and they're going to have to settle for a 56-yard field goal. But Greg the Leg saved Mike McCarthy from some really questionable play calling. It's not the first time. Uh, that's happened. Clock management. That's not the first time that's happened to Mike McCarthy either, Mike, which I think is a concern going forward for the Cowboys. And for head coaches on game day, it's clock management. It's what to do on fourth down. It's when to go for two. There aren't a lot of big decisions that you have to make, but the decisions you have to make are big ones indeed. And we saw Mike McCarthy bungle the clock management last night. Shades of Jason Garrett, really. Although until Mike McCarthy ices his own kicker, he has not yet caught up with Jason Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen that before, Mike. Cowboys have seen that before, but they didn't have any timeouts there to ice their kicker, and they'd already called one, so I guess they couldn't do it in that instance. That's true. That's true. That's good. Uh, if you call your last timeout, <laughs> you can't call another one to ice your own kicker. I think you can't call two timeouts anyway. It would have pushed it right. back to a 71-yard field goal if that had been the case. All right, in Indianapolis, <laughs> the Colts are also 0-2. One of the t- teams that had hoped to contend in the AFC, definitely in the AFC South, tough five-game stretch to start the season, now 0-2, and to make matters worse, Carson Wentz exited with what we knew as of last night was one sprained ankle. Turns out it's two sprained ankles. Status for week three is unclear, and it looked painful when it happened. He got caught up with Aaron Donald got rolled up. It's amazing that doesn't happen more often. With all the bodies out there that are moving around on a football field, it's stunning that we don't have sprained ankles on every single play. But Carson Wentz, and there it is. Down he goes. There's the right ankle that clearly gets twisted up. You don't see the left ankle get caught up. Maybe he had injured it earlier. Maybe he was operating on adrenaline. Maybe he didn't realize until he woke up today that the other ankle was injured. But clearly the right ankle's a problem, Shireen. And without him, they have a real challenge because Jacob Eason who took over as the starter when Wentz had foot surgery back in August. He quickly lost ground to rookie Sam Ellinger. We saw why yesterday when Eason promptly threw an interception. Ellinger's on IR. Brett Hundley's the only other option. If he's going to be out for a while, the Colts could keep losing game after game after game in his absence. 
Yeah, and it doesn't sound good, Mike, and you're right. The left ankle was early in the game, and he was able to play through that one, Reich said, but then obviously that right ankle late, he just couldn't play through that. So it sounds like the right ankle is worse than the left ankle, but they both are sprained, which sounds like to me he's not going to get a chance to play this week if you have two sprained ankles. That's just tough to overcome, I would think. Maybe you can overcome one if it's not a high ankle sprain, but two just for a quarterback sounds difficult. But it almost seems like, Mike, that Carson Wentz is just jinxed. I mean, he can't get over this injury bug, and it just happens again and again and again. Of course, had the foot surgery in in the training camp, and it's just been one thing after another with this guy since that ACL injury when he played so well was in the MVP conversation way back when, and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy since then. But, yes, I think the Colts are in trouble. They're in trouble anyway. They can't even protect Carson Wentz. I don't know what they're going to do when Jacob Eason gets in there, who obviously is a backup for a reason. This team's in deep, deep trouble at 0-2. And they have the Titans up next trip to Tennessee to take on the Titans, who are now 1-1 after the overtime win yesterday against the Seahawks. And whenever a guy is injured repeatedly, I – I can't figure out, and I don't think we ever really know the answer. Is he just unlucky? Is there something in the composition of his body that makes him susceptible to getting injured? Or are there issues with the training, the flexibility, the nutrition, the pliability, a word we became introduced to several years ago thanks to Tom Brady? Is there something going on there, something external that is or isn't making him susceptible to being injured? But the bottom line is this constantly is an issue for him it's one after another and at some point it just becomes the reality of who the guy is he's always played with kind of a reckless mobile style and when you do that when you get yourself twisted up like that i mean hey here's the bottom line tom brady would get rid of the ball before he's dragged down by aaron donald that's that's the difference that's part of what this is so the fourth factor is having a level of awareness on the field when it comes to avoiding contact or taking contact in a smart way. You know, Shereen, Russell Wilson does not avoid contact. He's always reminded me of Barry Sanders in that he moves just right to never take a direct, solid, awkward hit that could get him injured. And uh, it's something that's innate in the way that that player's body moves in relation to others. But some guys have it, some guys don't. And for Wentz, he's too fearless for his own good because he ends up in these spots where anybody perhaps, no matter how flexible or pliable they are, are going to get injured because they're getting dragged down to the ground by Aaron Donald. Just avoid getting dragged down to the ground by Aaron Donald. You avoid getting a sprained ankle. Yeah, Kyler Murray's another one, Mike, that you think of that just never takes that solid hit. He took the one last year and had the shoulder injury, but he just never takes those hits. And you just can't take those hits. And the thing about this is, Mike, when he left Philadelphia, one of the problems was the offensive line. They didn't give him enough protection. So he goes to Indy and everybody goes, well, he finally has an offensive line that's going to give him protection. And Anthony Costanzo uh, retires. And then you have Quentin Nelson needing foot surgery. And now all of a sudden this offensive line is a shell of itself, which is part of the problem. So he's taken 21 hits in two games, six sacks. Part of that is on him, just like it was in Philadelphia. But you're right. You've got to get rid of that ball. And if the offensive line's not going to protect you, you've just got to throw it away and start over and, and go on to the next play. The worst news for the Colts at 0-2, they're a game behind the most dysfunctional franchise in all of professional sports, the Houston Texans, <laughs> who beat the Jaguars week one and who were giving the Browns everything they could handle before Tyrod Taylor exited at halftime with a hamstring injury. And nobody knew he had exited with a hamstring injury. I tweeted yesterday, somebody needs to point out to Jack Easterby there is an in-game injury update requirement. Eventually, they did provide the Tyrod Taylor hamstring injury update. Davis Mills came in. Here's David Culley, the coach of the Houston Texans, on the possibility of seeing Deshaun Watson on Thursday night when they host the Panthers and also the status of Tyrod Taylor. Here's Culley. Deshaun Watson will be deactivated this week, just like he has been for the first two two ball games. Uh, as far as Tyrod goes, at this point right now, it's day to day. You know, he's getting an MRI. He's uh, uh, he's been looked at. Uh, we'll just see later on this afternoon how it is and how it is. You know what happens, and we'll just take it day to day with him. If he's able to go and ready to go, he'll play. 
Our good friend John McClain of the Houston Chronicle has reported that Tyrod Taylor could miss four weeks, which means it's a pretty bad hamstring injury. It needs a month to heal. And that's the key with a hamstring. You have to give it time to heal. And even when you think it's healed, it still may not be healed because when you hit high gear, it grabs, it sets back, and you got a problem. But, Shereen, I want to go back to what Cully said about Deshaun Watson today. Very confident, very direct, conclusive information. Yesterday... When he was asked about Deshaun Watson potentially playing on Thursday night after the loss to Cleveland, Cully said, we'll see. And I think what he meant was, we'll see whatever who makes the decisions other than me tells me. Because he's clearly not the one making the call. Somebody else in the organization had to tell him, no, we're not going to use Deshaun Watson Thursday night. And it will be Davis Mills if Tyrod Taylor is indeed out for four weeks. Yeah, Nick Casario is calling the shots there. We all know that. And he's brought in this roster, and he's not going to play to Sean Watson. And I, I go back to what it, John McClain has said all offseason into training camp that Deshaun Watson has played his last snap for the Texans, and I think that's going to be the case. And it's going to be the Tyrod Taylor show when, when he's healthy. But you talk about a poor guy, a poor guy, Mike, that has had injuries affect him. We were talking about Carson Wentz. Look at Tyrod Taylor. I mean, he's in Cleveland as a starter, gets a concussion. Baker Mayfield comes in. He never gets his job back. He's in with the Chargers last year. What happens? He gets the shot for the rib injury, punctures a lung. All of a sudden, Justin Herbert comes in. He gets Wally Pipp there, ends up in Houston. Finally, he's the starter. Nobody behind him is going to push him. This is his team for this year, and now he's hurt again with the hamstring injury. Davis Mills, who knows? He didn't look great yesterday, but if he plays any sort of good in the in the if he's out four weeks in those four weeks he's going to get Wally pipped again and they're going to say let's go with the rookie and see what we have in him because we're playing the future they're not going to the playoffs this season they're playing for the future so they may just leave Davis Mills in there get a higher draft pick lose more games what do you have to lose except more games and find out if this kid can be your quarterback of the future Think about it, 52 weeks after his date with Dr. Needle, that's when Tyrod Taylor ended up with (laughs) another injury. At least this is one that happened without inadvertent medical intervention. And again, the statute of limitations still hasn't run. We just have fun with the whole Dr. Needle thing. We're not suggesting there was any malpractice or negligence. We we know that he had a needle inserted for a painkilling injection. It collapsed along, and that opened the door for Justin Herbert. With Deshaun Watson... I always try to put myself in the shoes of a fan of a given team. And if I was a fan of the Texans, I would be so pissed off that we're paying $10.5 million this year to a guy that we refuse to even put on the field. And it would be hard for me to understand, number one, he doesn't want to play for us. Number two, we don't want him to play for us. We don't want to put him on the field because if he gets injured – that impairs the trade value. And if they trade him now, unless they get players who are going to come help now, they're going to get stuff that's going to help them next year. The draft picks don't help them now. They help them next year. It would still be hard for me to accept it as a fan of the team because I'd say we got one of the best quarterbacks in football. Look how good he was last year. He's fun to watch. I want to watch him play. I don't want to watch Davis Mills on Thursday night football. I don't want to pay money to go watch Davis Mills play. Another one of the many backup quarterbacks in the NFL whose first names and last names are completely interchangeable for all way all I know his name really is Mills Mills Davis but uh, I'd be pissed I really would be but but this is the situation and Shireen the other dynamic here that can't be overlooked the NFL hasn't decided whether to put Deshaun Watson on paid leave because it hasn't had to if today they would have said you know what he's playing Thursday night there's a chance that we'd be talking about how the NFL put Deshaun Watson on paid leave today so Either way, I don't think he was playing on Thursday night. They don't want him to. They don't want the NFL to have to decide whether or not to put him on paid leave. It's over. It's done. And it's just a question of when they're going to trade him. And if it was ever unclear in any way, it shouldn't be now when they have an obvious need for him and it's not even a conversation. Yeah, no question, Mike. They're going to trade Deshaun Watson at some point. It's when they can monopolize the trade value of Deshaun Watson. It's probably not going to be until those 22 civil suits are settled or go to court or whatever needs to happen, which we all know is going to be a ways away. At this point, 
I think the Texans are playing for that high draft pick to use on a quarterback, Mike. That's that's what it appears to me. And they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. I don't think they're the worst team in the NFL. Maybe now that Davis Mills is playing, they will be. But Tyrod Taylor, with him in there, I think there was a chance they would have beaten Cleveland yesterday if he was in there quarterbacking the Texans and hadn't left that game after the first half. I mean, they looked really good against the Browns, or either the Browns looked really bad against the Texans in the first half, whatever it was. But I think they had a chance to win that game. But with Davis Mills, I would assume they're going to lose all the games that he starts, however long he's in there. And you're playing for that draft pick next year and hoping you can trade Deshaun Watson for what you want for him. I don't think they're going to get what they're asking for him. But they maybe at least can get a couple of high picks for him and and they can use those to try to rebuild this thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And anything they do by way of contending or competing now is a plus. However, it does make it harder to get that highest possible draft pick when you are targeting rebuilding the team with potentially the first overall pick. If you win too many games, you don't get the first overall pick. That That is a topic for another day. We're in the midst of football season. We'll talk about the realities of tanking. Maybe later in the football season, but not in week two. For now, the Texans are very much alive, and they can make it to the playoffs, and they can make some noise, and they could really provide some excitement. And they have been better than I ever dreamed they would be. Also better, Shereen, than I ever dreamed they would be this year, the Las Vegas Raiders. 2-0. and And this isn't 2-0 and by taking down a couple of cupcakes to start the season. This is Ravens. On a Monday night, a tough, gritty, physical game that went well beyond 60 minutes. Then the short week, they go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers. This is impressive stuff. Here's John Gruden regarding the health of a couple of key players. Derek Carr went down with an apparent injury but didn't miss any time. And Josh Jacobs, the team's running back, also banged up, didn't play yesterday. Here's what Gruden had to say about them as they get ready for Miami to come to town. Uh, he had an MRI on it today. I think he's going to be uh, able to play. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Will will have the official injury list for you. Uh, I'll make sure that it, uh, it gets officially laid out there uh, in your hands. But I think right now he's questionable. How's Josh doing? Um, I met with him this morning. He's in great spirits, really happy with the win. I would, I would think he's day-to-day and very questionable again for this game. Hey, they're not going to do anything to tip their hand about their strategic plans or whatever. Derek Carr looked like he was seriously injured at first. He did. He got rolled up on from behind after he threw a touchdown pass. It wasn't intentional. It just kind of happened. A guy was pursuing him and, and ended up in his legs, and it happens. As I said earlier, it's amazing it doesn't happen more often. And Carr, you could tell, was determined, to his credit. And at first I thought, you know, is this some sort of an homage to Ben Roethlisberger that he's going to to overly dramatize and embellish an injury so he can make a great return. But this was real. He got banged up and he was determined to watch it there. The guy just, you know, gravity takes him into Derek Carr's legs. There was no intent. There was no malice there. And Carr was hurting. He went to the medical tent. He was back on the sideline throwing. He came running back out onto the field in a very determined way. And, and he got the job done. I give him a ton of credit that he was able to come back and play but we don't know what is going on with him as the week unfolds. You know, plenty of injuries. You get adrenaline pumping through your veins. You get through it in the moment. And then the next day, you feel like when you try to get out of bed that you were hit by a truck. And that could be what Derek Carr is dealing with today. So it could take some time. And uh, I don't, based upon the determination we saw from him yesterday, and based on the fact that they've gotten to 2-0 and and they've got a winnable game coming up against the Dolphins, I don't expect him to miss Sunday's game. Yeah, I don't either. And maybe if Marcus Mariota was still there, if he wasn't on IR, hadn't gotten hurt on that long run in week one, maybe they would think about sitting Derek Carr for a week and thinking they can win that game anyway. But Nathan Peterman, we all saw what happened when he started for the Bills. It did not go well and hasn't made a start since 2018. And um, hasn't even thrown many passes since then. He showed up in one game last season, but just wasn't very good, Mike. So I don't think they want to put their team in the hands of Nathan Peterman at this point. He's going to do – Derek Carr's going to do everything possible to get on the field and play on Sunday because they have a chance to go 3-0 and and a chance to prove that they're a good team, that they're a contender with the Chiefs. And Derek Carr, to his credit, and other great quarterbacks would – and I'm warming yeah. up to Derek Carr. 
I'm trying to make amends because yeah. he's look, my assessment of a guy is based on what he does. And if a guy doesn't play well, I'm going to say it. And if he does play well, I'm going to say it. And like any other great quarterback, well. he is not going to he's not going to give up his seat. He's not going to give another guy a chance to come in and play. Tom Brady would never give another guy a chance to come in and play. Whether it's Marcus Mariota, Nathan Peterman, or anyone else. And Carr will do everything he can to make sure that there isn't somebody else who comes in, plays well, and John Gruden decides, huh, well, maybe we'll give Derek Carr another week to heal, and then one week becomes two, and two weeks becomes three, and the next thing you know, you have another guy who's taken over. Not that that's likely to happen, but that's how you need to be wired to protect your turf as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I... I like that, and I like what he's doing. And I'm capable of adjusting my views when the people that we are evaluating and commenting on give us reason to adjust our views. Derek Carr is doing it. Well, and he'll be helped if Josh Jacobs can play, Mike. You know they want to try to run the ball against the Dolphins, so he'll be helped by that. The good thing for them is the Dolphins can't get to the quarterback. No team has fewer sacks than the Dolphins, aside from the Packers, who played a night, who have zero. They had zero in week one. So they have trouble getting to the quarterback, so they can give him plenty of time. But he will be helped if Josh Jacobs can get back in the lineup, Mike. Yep, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But an interesting game this week, uh, a, a rematch of last December's classic Linda Blair in the mm. Exorcist game when they tried to rip Ryan Fitzpatrick's head off of his body and he threw that great pass to set up the win for Miami speaking of Miami Brian Flores coach of the Miami Dolphins who lost in convincing fashion yesterday and also lost quarterback to a Tonga here's Flores giving an update on Tua's status along with Will Fuller who missed the game for personal reasons let's have a listen uh yeah Tua's obviously you, you know he went out of the game yesterday uh, we're still running some tests in a lot of pain yesterday. Still in a you know good good deal of pain today, but um, you know I think you know we'll, we'll call him day to day right now. Um, as far as Will, uh, Will was here today, and um, you know we expect him here this week as well. If it is a question of pain management, his ability to come back, what kind of toughness does Tua have? He's a tough kid. I mean, I'd say he's a very tough kid. I mean, he's whether it's the I mean just coming back from the hip. Uh, I think he had a thumb last year that he, you know, he played through. Um, he tried to, you know, tried to go yesterday. Um, you know, toughness isn't something that you know, we question with him. I'm always uncomfortable when that issue comes up. If it's pain, how tough is a guy? Well, yes, they're all tough. Anybody who walks across that thick white stripe onto a football field is tough, and you play through pain from time to time. The question is, is there a way to play through pain in a way that does not undermine your performance? When you've got a a rib injury on the left side of your body and you are left-handed, that's going to impair your ability to throw the ball. And there's also a chance you're going to have an unfortunate encounter with Dr. Needle if they decide to use a painkilling injection to allow you to do it. And even if a rib isn't broken, you can have bruised rib cartilage. I went through a litany of my non-football injuries with Mike Golick today on PFT Live. I've had broken ribs. I've had bruised rib cartilage. Let me tell you, it hurts the same. So he clearly was in pain yesterday. And... We'll just have to see. Look at that. Who would not be in pain? I don't care what kind of a flak jacket you're wearing. You get driven into the ground like that, you're going to be in pain. And we'll see if he can get it turned around. But it looks like it's not going to be an extensive time situation. Shereen, I thought, hey, if this guy's out for a long period of the season, the Deshaun Watson stuff is going to heat up. It looks like that's not going to happen. The question is, will he be ready to go on Sunday? And if not this week, will he be ready to go the next week? Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with the pain tolerance thing too, Mike, because to me it puts pressure on a kid to go out there when when maybe he's not ready to play. And, you know, if he can't throw, then they're better off with Jacoby Brissett than they are with Tua out there, even with the flag jacket, even with everything they do to protect him. Look, their offensive tackles have been terrible. Austin Jackson and Jesse Davis, they were just overmatched yesterday. And so they're facing another front now that's going to come get him. So I worry about his long-term health if he's out there and not 100%. And I don't see any way he's going to be 100% with the injury that he has. And you're right. You, you run that risk of hitting that lung when you start shooting up that, that rib area. I mean, we saw it last year with Tyrod. So 
this is questionable to me on, on Tua, and, and the Dolphins need to think more about long-term than short-term at this point because you don't want to do anything that's going to further damage him either mentally or physically going forward, Mike. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and that's what the Dolphins are going to have to balance as they try to figure this all out. In Chicago, they have a quarterback situation to figure out. Here is Matt Nagy on Andy Dalton, who has a knee injury, and Justin Fields, the rookie that Nagy has been trying to keep on ice for as long as possible. You know, as far as the quarterback situation with Andy, he's still working through all his results right now and going through that, so we'll know more later on tonight with him. Uh, but I appreciate his toughness, and I thought he was playing really well. Andy's healthy. Is he your starter? If Andy is healthy, is he your starter? Uh, that's something that I'm not going to get into with scheme. That's not scheme. Of course, of course it is. That that's that's a hundred percent scheme, Brad. That's a hundred percent scheme. I don't understand that. I thought Brad Big said, and there's the tweet that Bears PR came in to deliver a message from Matt Nagy. Andy Dalton is the team's starting quarterback when he's healthy. So I don't know how scheme is a factor there. I don't understand. Look, hey, NFL coaches have reason to be circumspect and careful about what they say. The bottom line is there's healthy and there's healthy. And Andy Dalton may be healthy, but if Justin Fields is playing really well, Andy Dalton isn't going to be healthy. He's not going to be 100%. And until he's 100%, Justin Fields will keep playing. We'll just see how it goes if Andy Dalton's out this week. I think we got the word that it's a bone bruise. Yes, we did. His status for this week is unclear. It could have been a lot worse for Andy Dalton. But uh, this gives the Bears, Shireen, cover, if they choose to use it, to ride with Justin Fields for a while. And then if he struggles, you can bench him without really benching him. Because we're not benching him. We're not removing him because we didn't think he was good enough. We're acknowledging that Andy Dalton is the starter and he's healthy again. So they, they have the best of both worlds here if they play it the right way. Isn't it amazing how these things sometimes work out themselves, like last year with Justin Herbert getting in there and showing that he is the starting quarterback and that was his time to be the starting quarterback. The, the only one last year that really didn't work out was the Tua one, and Ryan Fitzpatrick talks about how the Dolphins handled that, and he was surprised when he got benched. Andy Dalton shouldn't be surprised when and if he gets benched, but now is a perfect time. As you said, it's a perfect cover, and if Justin Fields struggles, you take him out. No, we're not benching him. Andy Dalton's healthy, and we've said he's our starter when he's healthy. They have the best of all worlds right now, the Bears do, because they can see what they have in Justin Fields. Is he ready right now? They'll be able to find that out. And if he's not, when Andy Dalton's ready to come back in, he comes back in. Remember how strident the the Chargers were about Justin Herbert last year? He's a backup for a reason. Well, and then the moment he got a chance to play, he looks great. And it's like, what the hell were you guys doing? But, uh, but yeah, this is a great way for the Bears to let Justin Fields give it a try. If it doesn't work, hey, Andy Dalton's healthy. We don't have to say, ah, this guy's just not ready. No, the other guy's healthy, and off we go. Off we go. Uh, got a lot covered there in the opening segment of this Monday edition of PFTPM. When we return, we'll play a game of fill in the blank. We'll be back with that right after this. relationship between you and Lamar Jackson was caught on camera. You asked him whether or not he wanted to go for it. Can you just talk a little bit about your relationship with your quarterback and, and how much it means to be able to trust him like that? Yeah, I mean, he's a great player. You know, he's a great player. He's a great guy. He's a great competitor. You know, he's just, I've never been around a more competitive player, you know. Uh, it got to the point where you, I, there's a lot of trust there, I think. You know, hopefully it runs both ways. So, um, that's what you. That's what you want to have. John, what's going through your mind when you see Lamar going for that game-winning score, and he flips in the air to get into the end zone? I didn't see it. Oh. I didn't see it. I swear. I, I saw him throw the ball up in the air. Of course, I went like, "Is that legal?" You know, it's not taunting, is it? You know, and uh, but I didn't see the flip until later. My wife told me about it, and I saw it. And I was like, then I heard his hip hurt, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised." <laughs> But there's no no flip. Your flipping is okay. No, there's no anti-flipping rule. As long as you hold onto the ball, yeah. As long as it results in a touchdown. 
He did come down hard on that hip. You just got to be careful. And Lamar Jackson, I said this earlier today, Shereen, the Ravens need to make a commitment, not a legal commitment because there's no agent to negotiate the legal commitment. They need to make a moral commitment to Lamar Jackson that if he should suffer a serious injury, they will still give him exactly what they would have given him if he was completely healthy. He's landed on the line every week. He's made the decision not to be represented by an agent. I don't agree with the decision. I think he'd already have a second contract if he had an agent, and I think it would be in his best interest today to hire one. Every time I see him play, I think this guy needs to get his second contract signed. But I also think if the Ravens really wanted to, they could impress upon him the importance of getting this deal done, maybe the importance of having an agent to do the deal, whatever the case may be. They need to be ready, and hopefully they already have told him, hey, if something happens here, we're going to take care of you. Yeah, you would hope that would be the case. Of course, Dak Prescott, I know there are different situations, different years in their playing careers when it happened, but Dak had his. And and we briefly wondered, Mike, whether the Cowboys would do what was right by Dak Prescott, and they did, and he got his money. But you've talked about this. If you're Lamar Jackson or whoever's advising him, whether it's his mom or somebody else, you take that Josh Allen contract in there and say, hey – We'll sign this right now. Give us a dollar more than what Josh Allen makes or whatever it is, uh, and let's move on and let's get this thing signed because he does need that second contract in case there is an injury, Mike. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, and really, once that Allen deal was done, and, and I wasn't sure until I saw the details, but my first thought was chances are you're going to look at this and say the Ravens would really like to do this or the player would really like to do it. And once I broke it down, it's like the player should go in and say, let's just cross out the names and let's make this Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And, again, it's easier to do that if you have an agent, especially when you're into football season and you're focused as you should be on football. All right, fill in the blank time. Something I didn't see coming in week two was what, Shereen? Well, I think it was the obvious one, and I'm going to go ahead and eat my crow now, Mike. I'm the one that said the Panthers aren't going to make the playoffs, and I'm sure we're going to play that video at some point. It's saved somewhere, but they look like a playoff team. You didn't say that the Panthers aren't going to make the playoffs. You said there was no chance the Panthers would make the playoffs. So we need to be accurate. We need to be accurate. I'm backtracking, I'm eating crow, whatever it is. I'm saying the Panthers have a good chance to make the playoffs. That defense is way better than I thought it was. I think that's the biggest thing. And Sam Darnold, perhaps he just needed a good team around him. His first 300-yard game since a game against the Cowboys in early 2019. He looks great. I have to admit it. And that was my biggest question about the Panthers was how was Sam Darnold going to play he, he's done great, and they hold the Saints to 128 yards, which is the fewest in the Sean Payton era. In fact, it's the fewest they've had since five years before Sean Payton got to New Orleans. That's how good that defense is, and I think you're going to continue to see that defense to be really, really good. And we, we just write off the Panthers' defense. It's a good defense, and it's going to be one of the top defenses this year, and that's only going to help Sam Darnold. But he's with a good team. He trusts everybody around him, and they certainly look like a playoff team after the first two games. I talked to Hassan Reddick after the game yesterday, and they knew exactly what to do to Jameis Winston, just get after him, shut down the run, force him to be the one to try to trigger the victory, get him off his spot. And, you know, with Jameis Winston, if you get him – to try to be like Patrick Mahomes and everyone realizes he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's perfectly good Jameis Winston, but when he tries to be Patrick Mahomes, that's when it all implodes. And we saw two ugly interceptions yesterday when he was trying to be Patrick Mahomes. Um, To me, the thing I didn't see coming was the Raiders beating the Steelers. And it pisses me off because I should have seen it coming because I did the math last week. I went back and looked at The history recently, this is amazing. Now, Shereen, we grew up at a time when the Steelers were great and the Raiders were great. And in 1974, the AFC Championship, when the Steelers beat the Raiders, classic, out in Oakland, Steelers get to their first Super Bowl. The Immaculate Reception two years early, they had some great battles all through that decade. Both teams were good every year. The uh, Raiders have not been good. And from 2006 through yesterday nearly every year of which the Raiders have stunk they're six and two 
against the Steelers, who nearly every year of which since 2006 yeah. have been awesome. What's wrong here? Six and two. They're now up 17-13 in the all-time series. I should have seen it coming. I should have realized. Whatever it is, whether it is the Piper being paid for the immaculate reception, whatever it is, the Raiders have the Steelers' number. Should have seen the Raiders were going to beat them. I didn't realize that statistic. That is amazing because, as you said, the Steelers have not had a losing record since 2003. So for them to have a 2-6 and six record, is it, against the, the Raiders, it's is just yes. unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I never would have seen that. I wouldn't have picked the Raiders to beat the Steelers, especially the way the Steelers played in week one. But they look like two different teams, Mike. Yeah, that Steelers offense needs some work still. And Ben Roethlisberger said so. It's a work in progress. It's a new offense, and it wasn't able to get it done yesterday. Sunday's biggest stud was who or whom? I think it's whom. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to Lamar Jackson a little bit because who needs running backs? They lost those three running backs, and Lamar just said, eh, I don't need a running back. 16 carries, 107 yards, two rushing touchdowns. He had both of the, the last two touchdowns and the, the game winner there that we saw where he did the flip. But you know what? He passed for 239 yards and a touchdown, too. And I know he had those two interceptions to Honey Badger, but I thought overall he played a really good game. He's 0-3 against Mahomes, as we know. He's kind of gotten that ghost, uh, away, got that away, monkey off his back, however, whatever cliche we want to use. But he was good. He was the better quarterback, I thought, in that game yesterday. He played really, really well and carried the Ravens on his back. You could see what it meant to him. You could see. And yeah. forget about last week when he said, it's not about me versus right. Patrick. It is. Sammy Watkins the next day said, yeah, it really is. And on that last drive... When the Ravens use their first snap, Lamar kind of runs a couple of yards and sits down. I thought they're going to do exactly what the Giants did on Thursday night. They're going to take this gift, and they're going to be too conservative with it. They're not going to go for the jugular. You can't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. You can't just make them burn their timeouts and play defense again and hope that you get another you know, well-placed yeah hand on the football or guy in the right place at the right time get that first down and it was third and long if they don't complete that third and long pass there's no way they're going for it fourth and long it had to work out just perfectly but they morphed in the course of that drive between second down and fourth down into a team that was willing to roll the dice they did not start that drive like a team that was going to try to seize the victory I think that's what made the decision in the moment to go for it so surprising because the whole vibe starting that drive was we were just content to get the ball back. We're content to make them use their timeouts. We'll be content to punt it back to them. And they didn't do that, Mike. And that was their own, to me, that was their only chance to win. And I think John Harbaugh knew that. He knew the answer to the question when he asked Lamar, do you want to go for it? He knew what the answer was going to be. And he knew that Lamar was going to picked that first down up, and he put the ball in his hands, and he did it. And I, I think that builds confidence for that team and that quarterback, and this is going to be a team to contend with. I admit maybe I had some, some reservations, some questions after week one, but not after week two, the way they played uh, in that game yesterday. They were outstanding. All right. Uh, my biggest stud for Sunday was Tom Brady. Five touchdown passes. He's got 35 career games now with four or more touchdown passes. He's got a regular season streak of four games with four or more touchdown passes. He's closing in on the all-time record of 37, four touchdown-plus games, and five straight regular season games with four or more touchdown passes. The guy is unstoppable. Real quickly, most impressive loser in Week 2 was which team? Well, I thought it was the Chargers. I thought they should have beaten the Cowboys. Had two touchdowns called back, a 31-yard reception called back by a penalty. They ended up with 99 yards on 12 penalties, two interceptions in scoring range, and missed a field goal. They were the better team in that game, but they didn't win the game. And this is just so Charger-esque. The names have changed, Mike, but the result stays the same. Yeah, hopefully this doesn't become a trend for them. For me, it was the Vikings because they should have won the game, could have won the game, would have won the game yeah. if their kicker could have made a 37-yarder. I wonder if they'll stick with their kicker after yesterday. He missed the extra point that was the reason they were one point behind, missed the field goal that could have won the game. Most disappointing winner from Week 2 was which team, Shereen? 
Well, I'm going to go with the Browns because, as I said, I'm not convinced they would have won that game if Tyrod Taylor had stayed in the game, if he hadn't gotten hurt. They had two turnovers. Their running game kind of carried them. But I have questions about the Browns after two weeks. They need to play better than what they've played the first two weeks, Mike. I'm going to say the Bears. They they had that game won. When Roquan Smith intercepted Joe Burrow and took it to the house, it was 17-3. to The Bengals had no business getting back into that game. The final score, 20-17, to tells me that the Bears took the foot off the gas way too early and, and could have found themselves at 0-2. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at teams who had very different results from Week 1 to Week 2, and we'll try to figure out which team they really are. We'll do that next on PFTPM. I don't know what it ended with, Derek. Deuce, Ton, and we had to have it, man. We put a lot on your shoulders. Yes, okay, we demand a lot of you. Deuce, Congratulations. Okay, but I promise you, if you fight like you did in the second half, I'll take you in any street fight, Ola. Okay, I will take you in any street fight, Ben, Roger, Nate, Quiz, all you guys that played up there, man. Okay, Todd, picking you guys' bodies up. It's standing eight count after standing eight count, but that war on them. It wore on him. We said not in the first half sometimes, not in the third quarter, but in the fourth quarter when we had to have it. We took it right on down the field with the big fella, man. Okay, enjoy this fight home, man. Talk about your teammates. Put the team first. Ignore all the other <laughs> man. Derek, break them down, man. Good luck. Good luck. Awesome stuff. Mike Vrabel, coach of the Titans, celebrating in the locker room in Seattle. Very tough place to play, tougher place to win. Difficult, if not impossible, to come from way back, and they did, riding on Derrick Henry to get there. So, we saw the Titans week one get embarrassed at home to the Cardinals. We saw them go on the road and beat the Seahawks in overtime. Which team is the Titans, week one or week two, Shereen? Well, I'm going with week two because I don't know that they see many defensive fronts like the Cardinals. And they went back to the core of who they are with with – uh, Derrick Henry running the ball, 35 carries, 182 yards, and three touchdowns. They didn't do that in week one. They passed early, got behind, and then they take Derrick Henry out of the game. He only had 17 carries for 58 yards and, and no touchdowns. So they took him out of the game, put the game in the hands of Ryan Tannehill. I think they've gone back to who they are. They've played, they've played a better front for them to be able to run the ball than the Cardinals. So I think they're closer to that week, too. They're going to win that division. I don't see any other team that's going to challenge them in there. That should be six victories within the division. It's going to be, t- be a team that's going to make the playoffs, Mike. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Titans we saw yesterday are closer to the real thing. And week one, look, I'm not making excuses for them. It, I, I'm, I'm really pointing to an explanation. When you're playing a good team at home week, week one, and maybe you don't realize how good they are, it doesn't take much complacency to open the floodgates yeah. and, and burst the dam. And before you know it, the game's over, and you're looking around saying, what the hell happened to us? So to their credit, they made the long road trip, and they got it together, and they got the victory. Seahawks, who beat the Colts on the road week one, 28-16, lost at home to the Titans in overtime. Which team is the real Seahawks this year? I'm going to go with that team that's closer to week two. And the problem for them, Mike, is we know Russell Wilson after the season talked about getting hit too much. Well, guess what? He's getting hit too much. Six quarterback hits, two sacks yesterday. Uh, And the Titans had the fewest sacks in the NFL last season. They've got to do a better job of running the ball. They've got to do a better job of protecting Russell Wilson. So to me, they look more like that team in week two. The Colts just weren't all there in week one. They they are a shell of themselves, of, of the team that we thought they could be entering this season. But I think the Seahawks really showed up. And they're in a tough division. So they're going to have to play better than what they did yesterday and giving that one yeah. away. I still think that the week one Seahawks are the real thing. I'll call yesterday the aberration. We'll see what happens moving forward. They go to Minnesota, team that's going to have its home opener and a team that is going to be very desperate to get in the win column on Sunday. The Bills lost to the Steelers at home 23-16, to went on the road and thumped the Dolphins 35 nothing. It helped to have Tua Tonga-Vailoa out of the game early. Which team is the real Bills? 
I think it's the week two Bills, and I think they're going to be right there with the Chiefs and the Raiders and whoever else is going to be uh, in the AFC. They're contending the Ravens uh, when it's all said and done. I think they're a team you're going to look at as, as being a contender, and they showed that yesterday. They didn't show it in week one at home, but they were back to forcing three turnovers, got six sacks of those Dolphins quarterbacks, and I did have concerns, Mike, about this team, whether there was going to be internal strife with all the COVID stuff that happened before they went to training camp, but they looked like a really good team yesterday. Yeah, I think that's the real Bills, and they needed that wake-up call. They maybe had a little complacency, maybe believed the hype a little bit too much. They looked very good yesterday, both sides of the ball. Dolphins, they got the win on the road. Boy, there's a theme here. You win on the road, you lose at home. You lose at home, you win on the road. The Dolphins won on the road in New England to start the season by a point. They get thumped on Sunday. Which Dolphins are the real Dolphins? Well, unfortunately for them, I think it's week two, and they just don't have very good offensive and defensive lines. They're giving up a lot of sacks. And they're not getting a lot of sacks, and so that's a problem for them. You got, they got to be better on both lines of scrimmage, and I just don't know how you fix that at this point. So I think this is going to be a problem all year for the Dolphins. Agreed on the Dolphins. I think that they are not nearly as good as many thought they were going to be. The quarterback situation with or without Tua is going to continue to hold them down. I'm sorry, Tua Mafia. I know, and I've seen this. It's getting worse, not better. The fans who don't want us to say out loud – the things about which they are privately terrified get so salty when we articulate that thing that they would just as soon plug their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 not listening. Listen to this. Dolphins, I don't think, are going to be as good as the Tua Mafia seems to believe. Saints thump the Packers at home. Neutral site, Jacksonville, 38-3. to Get dismantled by the Panthers. Let me take this one first. I think the week one Panthers, or excuse me, Saints are the real thing. I really do. I think they had legitimate excuses yesterday. I thought Sean Payton, and I love Sean Payton, and I know you do too. I think it was great where he basically says, here are our excuses. We don't make excuses. Did you hear our excuses? (laughs) Because not having those coaches, of course that's a legitimate thing to point to. And he doesn't need to make it an excuse. We can do it for him. His coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball was a shell of what it needed to be to get a team ready to play a football game. They overcame all their problems in week one, though, Mike. I'll go back to they had a lot of excuses in week one, too. They weren't playing at home, playing a neutral site. More Packers fans there uh, haven't been home in forever. That may be wearing on this team. But I think it's all going to come down to Jameis. Is the good Jameis going to show up or is the bad Jameis going to show up? And maybe at some point you start playing Taysom Hill a little bit more. They haven't gotten him involved in these first two weeks. They haven't gotten Alvin Kamara as involved as I think he should be involved. But you got to lean on those two players because I think at this point with Michael Thomas being out, those are your two playmakers. you got to let them make plays. Yeah, and I, I agree with you completely. The Jameis Winston thing is an issue. They need to use him the right way. And they're paying T- Taysom Hill a lot of money. Cameo appearance is not good enough. This guy's a great, great player. They need to use him more often, or they shouldn't have paid him all that money. Eagles, they beat the Falcons 32-6. to They lose at home to the 49ers, a game that was very close, and they actually you know, could have won. They did a good job shutting down the 49ers' offense. Which team is the real Eagles? Well, I think it's the Eagles that we saw yesterday. I think they're going to be good enough to play teams close, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to pull some of those games out against the better teams. Are they a contender in the division? Maybe, because I don't think the division's very good, but I would put the Cowboys up there because they have the best quarterback in the division as the favorite right now. So I'm going to say the Eagles were probably more of what we saw yesterday. All right, last one. and I, I, uh, 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 I'm going to say the jury's out. I don't know. It's still too early to tell on the Eagles. Steelers beat the Bills on the road week one, losing home to the Raiders week two, which is the real Steelers. Well, I'm going to go with the week one Steelers because they're always there, Mike. Like I said, 2003 is the last time they had a losing record, and I realize that there's no eight and eights anymore, and I think they had three or four eight and eights in there since 2003. They can't do that anymore. So they're either going to they, – I guess they could be 8-8-1, eight, eight and one, right? But probably not going to happen. But this is a team that always contends, so I think they're going to be there in the end. 8-8-1 eight, eight and one is a possibility. I guess in theory 7-7-3 seven, seven, is also a 500 record. That's possible <laughs> too. 
I think they're going to be fine. They'll get it together. They fight through adversity. They find a way to win. That offense will get better, and they still have Mike Tomlin as a head coach. Let's take a break. When we return, the Packers, a team that needs to give us a different performance than what we saw last week. Will they do it against Dan Campbell and the kneecap biters? We'll discuss that next here on PFTPM. They didn't want me like that ex-girlfriend. Shoot, I got to go. But, you know, I got a rebound. It was the Lions. They picked me up. You know what I mean? Now they feeding me good, taking me to dinners. You know what I mean? Another man's treasure is another man's treasure. I love Jamal Williams coming into his own with the Detroit Lions. Great sound bites. Getting a chance to play the Packers, the team with which he spent the first four years of his career. Now with the Detroit Lions. Lions going into Lambeau Field in a horrible spot, getting the Packers at a time when they want to prove to the entire world that what happened eight days ago was as much of a fluke as the Saints' performance on Sunday would suggest that it was. It was just one of those things. Stuff happens. Different word with four letters, starts with S, ends with T. Happens. Can the Packers do that? Do you believe the Packers will do that and restore the greater balance in the football world. I believe they will do it, and I believe they have to do it, Mike, if they're going to contend. You can't lose the Lions. I mean, the Packers are set are 9-2, and two, and Aaron Rodgers, 11 home starts against them. He has 21 touchdowns and four interceptions in that game. But I tell you what, we're going to find out if his heart is in this thing. We're going to find out if they have energy, which they said they lacked last week. If you don't have energy at home against a team you should beat, who you have beaten multiple times, in the last 11 home games, then you're in big, big trouble this season. So they have a chance to come out and play and play well and show the world that they are the team that we thought they were going to be entering the year. It will be interesting to see what kind of fire and passion the Packers have. Yesterday on the CBS pregame show, it's amazing. The four main analysts did kind of a roundtable discussion, and they took turns dumping on Aaron Rodgers. I've never seen anything like it. Jimmy Traina of SI.com brought it to my attention on Twitter. I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I, I don't know if it's fashionable now to go after Aaron Rodgers. Look, the guy's still one of the great quarterbacks on the planet, and sometimes you do step on a rake. It happens. I fully expect the Packers will win tonight. I still think there's a chance of a backdoor kneecap biter cover like the Lions did because those guys are not going to quit ever but I, I think the Packers should win this one handily. Yeah, these aren't the Matt Patricia Lions, Mike. They're going to fight to the end, and the 49ers found that out and almost found that out in a big, big way with a big, big upset the way the Lions came back. So Packers need to put the pedal to the metal and keep it on there the whole entire game and blow them out and say, okay, we're back. R-E-L-A-S. And they better. They had better because they've got the 49ers on the road coming up and then they have the Steelers coming to Lambeau Field so this is the one easy win over the next three weeks they need to win more than one of these games if they want to reestablish themselves as the team that we think they are supposed to be oh and they're in a division where only one team has a win so far this year the Bears yesterday Shireen against the Bengals yes Packers are still the favorite Mike and they're going to show it tonight All right, that's it for us on this edition of PFTPM. We'll be with you bright and early tomorrow morning to break down the Monday night game, plus plenty more when we get Chris Sims to show up for work again. See you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.